Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Great. If you have your Bibles, um, please turn with me to the book of James. We're still uh, there. Last week, uh, trust it was, well, I heard it was a good Sunday morning with uh, John from CAP. We had Mickey um, from CAP with us at Horsham Downs, and uh, I'm really excited uh, with a new debt center um, manager, debt coach being trained um, this month. It's going to have a significant impact on our ability for us to be able to meet the needs um, and reach out into the community. And actually probably ties in a little bit with what I believe James is saying to us, um, or what God is saying to us through the book of James. And we're in the second half of James chapter 2. I'm going to read from the, uh, from the ESV, and uh, you can follow along. We're going to read from verse 12. Um, if, if My Bible has a, has a break at the start of verse 14, but I think it's helpful for us to read from verse 12 through to the end of chapter 2, just to help us read this in context. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is indeed life to us. Lord, we'd ask as we open and sit under it this morning, we would indeed receive what you have to give to each one of us. Lord, and we would grow up into the fullness of you. Lord, from one degree of glory to another, we ask that you would do that this morning by your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So following Jesus in the squeeze, the book of James. And God has a lot to say about what we say in the book of James. You notice that several times he's just saying, well, you say this, you say this. And 
And we haven't even got to the chapter three yet that is all about taming the tongue. And he'll have a lot to say about how we use our tongues in that chapter. Now this, this, the book of James, and specifically this chapter, has actually seen a significant amount of controversy over the last 2,000 years in terms of how it's been understood. Some have even suggested that James was contradicting the writings of Paul. But we know that God is the never-changing one. He is the eternally consistent one. So when we see something we don't understand, our goal is to seek to understand it. I believe Paul, and when we see Paul was writing to those that were attempting to earn salvation through right action or right deeds. Specifically, specifically those that were attempting to be right with God by observing the Old Testament law. But he wasn't a man that was against works. Paul worked harder than just about anybody I've ever met for God. Galatians 5, 6 says, again, addressing these people that are thinking if they have observed the Old Testament law, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith doing what? Working through love. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul and James are in agreement both. They're both saying that the grace that changes our soul should, does also change our lives. The grace that changes our soul also changes our lives. The book of James, though, the issue is that he's addressing is that there's people of faith, people that were full of faith that weren't working, they were only talking. Those good works that God had called and rescued them and set them apart and made them new for, they weren't doing. There was a whole lot of belief and not much behavior. There was, their lips had a lot to say, but their lives were really silent. You could say they could recite the creed, but there was absolutely no conduct to back up what they believed. Faithful people that lacked action. And he's saying that kind of faith is lifeless. And he gets rather strong saying, hey, you, you, you've even reached demon level faith. Well done. That's, that's a bit harsh. Calls them fools, biblically. But he's saying to them and to us that faith is not merely what we say we believe. Faith is not merely what we say we believe. Faith is what we believe. It is what we say we believe. And it is what we do with what we believe. Verse 12 says, so speak and so act. Speech and action. Why? Because we're to be judged under the law of liberty. So we need to speak and act like that. And we desire mercy. We love mercy. Judgment, not so much. But to those who are, that have shown mercy, not talked about mercy, not, not said nice things, but have actually shown mercy. It goes even further, in, and I think it's the King James that says, what does it profit if you say you have faith? What does it produce? What benefit 
does it does it say can it save him now i believe that him is not the person that is just speaking it's the person that is receiving the word that just says go well be blessed have a full belly but i'm not going to do anything to look after can you say in have faith have any profit or any benefit or any effect on them when they're the one in physical need james here is saying no it doesn't profit it doesn't produce anything if we only say we have faith James has a lot to say about how we, the, the poor in the community of faith are treated. The poor in general, but specifically the poor in the community of faith. In James chapter 2, he says, well, how are you going to treat a rich man and a poor man that come into your meeting? Are you going to treat them, you say you have faith, but you're going to treat two different people quite differently. You're going to treat the rich man differently because you might be able to curry favor and get out from underneath some of this oppression and persecution, but the poor person, you don't exhibit your faith there, You say you have faith, but you just ask them to sit on the floor. You don't exhibit your faith because somebody in need comes and you simply say, be warm and well-fed, as opposed to actually feeding them and giving them a coat. To say one thing and to do nothing, what good is that? Goes so strong and says that faith not manifest in action is not faith at all. It's dead. It's dead. It's as useless as a three-legged stool with one leg missing. It profits no one. Now some will say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is much more than our words. Faith is certainly a spiritual reality. It's a, it's an, a spiritual ascent to the truths of God. It's an intellectual trust in God and, and that he is who he says he is. My faith is that Christ Jesus really has taken the just punishment for my sin and the sin of the whole world. That Jesus really has been raised from the dead and has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the majesty therein. I believe and have faith that he is ruling and reigning and in control and sovereign over all he's made now. And I believe and have faith that God is working out the redemption of the whole world through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit residing in each and every one of his disciples, of which I am but one. And James says, show me that without works show me that that spiritual and mental tick box without showing it externally show me what's in your heart and show me what's in your head without your hands it can't be done it can't be done we can't say we have faith one has faith and one has works it is faith is in our heart it's in our head and it comes out our hands It comes out our hands. Doug Wilson says, faith comes out our fingertips. It's not a separate thing. Works are simply the visible part of our faith. Like love. Carrie and I are going to be married 24 years in September. James and Kirsty beat us by a year. Come on, well done. But love. How do I know that Carrie loves me? Well, she tells me regularly, she says it, 
But if, if that was the sum total over 24 years of, of me being assured of her love, that wouldn't be, I wouldn't have much assurance at all, would I? It's her acts of love, big and small. A cup of tea in the morning, uh, going to turn the pool pump off because I'm already in bed and I forgot to do it and I don't want to get out of bed again. It's the word of encouragement, even when I've done something dumb. It's acts of love. Well, guess what? Can you separate the acts from the love that motivate him? No, neither can we simply say and not do with our faith. James says, you say you have faith, but is it being evidenced in what we do? The original readers of James were all hooey and not much dewy. They were having a great talk fest, but they weren't doing much. They were talking about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, but they weren't actually visiting the widows and orphans in their affliction. They were talking about wanting to see the world change. Remember, this is first century. They are, are hard-pressed, and we're, they're, they're trusting God, and they're wanting to see the world transformed, but yet they're only saying things. They're not living out the truth. It's not producing what they want to see. Why? Because it's not profitable to only say one has faith. So he gets really practical there and says, suppose a brother is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? I believe that the exhortation here is to act like we trust Jesus, not just say that we trust Jesus. These first century Jews, we, we can see that and go, okay, well, when I see somebody in need, I should give them something. I, I don't know everybody here, but I know most of us can give to someone in need and still be pretty confident that there's food in the fridge and we're still going to have a meal the next day. These early believers, they were actually give without knowing where your next meal is coming from. Take somebody into your home and welcome them, knowing that that could cause and bring greater persecution down on you and greater hardship. Act like we trust Jesus, not just say we trust Jesus. Giving genuinely not knowing that we have plenty in reserve, but trusting that God is faithful. He knows what we need. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink, where you sleep, what you'll wear. He, he cares. Do we, can we act like that? Can we genuinely give the shirt off our back and our coat as well? When someone opposes us, can we genuinely turn the other cheek and say, okay, and, and let them do it again and then pray for them? Because that will profit that person. That will bring about a salvation, not our anger, like earlier in chapter 2 talks about or end of chapter 1. Not our saying one thing and doing nothing. Genuinely trusting God to meet our needs as we faithfully, faithfully give to those in need. Now, I've not said, go in peace, be warm and filled. I don't know if that, but I have said, well, God bless you. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. 
I've said something and done nothing. Proverbs says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. By all means, pray. When there's a situation and someone in need before us, by all means, pray. But don't stop there. Faith that works. Faith that demonstrate is demonstrated in our actions. Faith that saves, prays, and it pays. It comes out our fingertips. Pray then and there. If you're going to genuinely say, oh, I'm going to pray for you, well, are you praying that somebody else will meet that need? How do you know that God's not already ordained for you to be the person to meet that need? By all means, pray, but can I encourage you? If you're going to pray for somebody pray for, in need, pray for them right then and there. And sometimes what's required isn't a long prayer, but just some quick action. Oftentimes. Practically, and I, I, I borrowed this, or I learned this from a friend, and I didn't ask his permission, so I won't name him, but, I mean, we live in a cashless society. New Zealand's ahead of the curve, um, but so we, we carry phones, and sometimes only just a phone to pay for stuff or a card, but you meet somebody in need, and you're like, oh, I don't have any, I don't have any cash on me. Well, can I encourage you? This mate, he said, I go to the bank whenever I need to, and I get out, and I go to the bank itself and get small bills. And he said, I only ever carry a phone on me. He said, but I stuff the bills inside my phone so when I meet somebody in need, I can be obedient and actually meet that need. I can't, uh, you know. And you think, you might say, well, that's a bit inconvenient to have to go to the bank. I never go to the bank. Well, can I encourage you? That's a small inconvenience to help prepare you for the big inconveniences that God wants to bring your way. That's a really small inconvenience compared to, you know, the big inconvenience when, when you do stop and give somebody some money and chat to them and find out actually that they, they, have a, they need more than just that. They need you to sit down with them and, and buy them a meal. And then you discover, well, actually, the, God's prompting you. They don't have any place to sleep that night, and, and, invite, and you invite them home to your house. That's even a bit more inconvenient. And then, and then they come for just one night, and then they end up staying for two months. That's the kind of inconvenience I believe God's calling us to. If we're obedient, faith that works is faith that works. Faith that it comes out our hands. Here in this situation, the practicing of hospitality is much more, and it is for us as well, much, much more than simply inviting people over for lunch. Last week was great for those that participated and guess who's coming for lunch, and we don't need to wait for an event to, to have somebody around for lunch. But can I encourage us, the scriptural definition of hospitality is to, is to meet, to, to care for people and invite them into your home that have no way to pay you back. To have those in your home that are even inconvenient and maybe difficult to have. I know there's nobody like that in this room, but there's, there's people out there. There's people, I'm told, that are difficult to have into your home. It's inconvenient. But that God calls us to practice hospitality. Peter knows it's hard. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would you grumble practicing hospitality? Because it's difficult to practice hospitality. Why? Because we meet the needs of those that are in need. Why? Because that demonstrates the reality of our faith. Our faith is not just in our heart or not just in our head. It has to come out our hands. We don't talk about it much, but we try to 
to to clarify what we're called to as a mission, as, a, as the village church, is that we gather around Christ, we grow up into him, and then we go and do what he says. Jesus himself says, the wise man is the one who hears my words and puts them in the action. He's the one who actually builds his house upon the rock. There's a, there's a knowing and a doing that is a reality to faith. Now, I'm not saying that we must meet every single need. Not saying have no boundaries at all, but I'm I'm incredibly stirred by going to Indonesia. I'm incredibly stirred by some of the books I've been reading of Christ followers today that are exact living the life that James is writing to in the first century, where to welcome somebody into their home, to to give a meal, to give the shirt that they're wearing literally to help somebody else, and it's where the gospel is growing the most. It's where the kingdom of God is bearing fruit. It's where genuinely the kingdom of darkness is being displaced by the kingdom of light, where those people, where they still have boundaries, but their boundaries, dare I say, are not quite as narrow as ours are here in New Zealand in 2023. I'm not saying we must need every need, but I am encouraging us and I put myself in this. I've had to drive around a few roundabouts in my time. I'm not saying pick up every hitchhiker, but I've driven past hitchhikers that I knew the Spirit was telling me to pick up. And I had to go up to the next roundabout and turn around. And he's like, I saw your car go past. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm a bit slow. So pick them up. And I, just, I knew that it was going to be inconvenient. Confession, I was driving a Ministry of Education car. It was against the policy. It's going to be very inconvenient. But it's like, well, who's it better to obey? It's just hosing down with rain, and I knew it was going to be inconvenient. This gentleman, a wayward believer, needed more than just a lift. Needed prayer, needed finances. It was really inconvenient. But can I encourage us? We all know when we've felt the nudge of the Spirit and been disobedient. I believe James is in, God's encouraging us through the book of James. Faith must come out our fingers, must be obedient when we feel the Spirit nudge us. James gets really strong, even stronger than maybe I've been. He says, you've reached demon-level faith to just simply give a verbal assent to the reality of God. Verse 19 says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Now, that's an incredible confession. Remember, these are first century, mostly Jewish believers that have come to faith in Christ and are following him. And they're, saying, they're, they're um, reciting Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says, The Lord, the Lord God, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Jesus and Jehovah are one. And that belief has cost them everything. They've been driven out of their homes and hounded. And, and James says, you've done well for holding to that conviction. But even the demons know this. This isn't fullness of faith. The demons believe in God, Mark 1, verse 24. Often it was the demons that first drew attention to Jesus. They knew who he was. The demons believe that Jesus is Lord, Mark 3. He said, what are you going to do with us, son of God? And the demons are even fearful of eternal punishment, Luke 8, verse 31. But recognition without repentance, observance without obedience, is not faith. 
Believing in God alone is not faith. Merely saying one has faith is not faith. It's belief and speech and action. It says that we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. We want to continue to work out. And he says, do, and, he, and, he, and he gets quite strong and calls them fools. The, the biblical definition of a fool is one who doesn't speak wisely, according to Proverbs. And he says, let me show you. You want to be shown if you, 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 you're going to potentially push back that, that we don't need to work, he says. He says, I'm going to give you two witnesses. Two witnesses that have faith that works. And he calls Abraham and Rahab as his two witnesses. Now, Abraham, you'd think, oh, well, that'd be the first witness I'd call as well. Pretty reliable witness. Father of faith. But he calls a man and a woman, a religious person and an irreligious person, someone with a high reputation and someone who is a prostitute with a low reputation in society. And he says their faith is the same. He, call, he, said, he says Abraham, he said, and and and. And Rahab in the same way. He equates their faith. None of us are excluded. And he says both were justified by their works. And he he sandwiches that uh, controversial statement in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And here's where I just want to draw attention in these last few minutes to the the difference between what Paul means and is saying when he says justified and what James is saying. Because again, we could get tripped up here. Paul is again talking about the declaration of our righteousness. And when he's talking about justification, he's talking about that we have been declared righteous by the sacrifice of Christ and our trust and faith in that Sacrifice. Romans 3, 23 and 25. Hopefully by many of us, a well-known scripture. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul is talking, amen, it is a gift. None of us can claim that we found God. He reached out in that gift, and faith is a gift from God. We are saved and declared righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That declaration of righteousness, the opposite of being condemned, and nothing we could ever do would be sufficient Our declaration of righteousness is by what Christ has done. But James, James is focused on the demonstration of our righteousness. Paul is saying you've been declared righteous. Our declaration of righteousness is in Christ alone. But James is saying the demonstration of our righteousness. For all those who have been declared righteous, how do we demonstrate the reality of that relationship? The reality of our friendship with God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because justified has more than one meaning. Like we use many words that have more than one meaning. And justified means obviously to be declared righteous, but it also means to be proven true. Something has been, or someone has been proven true, or there's something has been made evident. You can read that in, in Luke 7. 
verse 29, in terms of where it says that God was justified. It's like, well, was God declared righteous? Well, no. He already is. He was proven to be true. And the case made by Abraham, God in his wisdom gives us two different events that prove this, if you will, difference between declaration of righteousness and demonstration of his righteousness. Verse 21 says he was justified, proven to be true. The truth was made evident. Why? How? By works. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, faith was active along with his works. But verse 23 says, Scripture was fulfilled when Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. The first time he was declared righteous, all he did was believe God. And the second time he was justified, he was proven right. Well, how? By his works, by his obedient faith coming out his hands and following God's direction. Can you just imagine? God's watch, God, God says to Abraham, he said, take your son, the one I promised that this nation and the nations of the world are going to be blessed through. Take them, travel three days, take them up a mountain and sacrifice them. So God watches as he gets a couple of servants and gets everything he needs for the sacrifice, loads it on the donkeys, takes Isaac, goes, travels three days to the mountain, unloads everything off the donkeys, redistributes the packs, puts the, puts the branches on their back, and leaves the servants at the bottom, and the two of them walk up the mountain, assembles an altar, puts the sticks on the altar, puts Isaac on the altar, and is about to take the knife and plunge it into his promised son. And then God says, stop, wait. Now I know that you fear God. Now God knew all along. You can't administer a test without knowing the answer. But God in his grace stoops down and says to Abraham, now I know. Now we know that you fear God. Why? His obedience to his faith. Not what he said he believed, but what he did with what he believed. It was proven true. And in the same way, in the same way, Rahab Justified by faith. Trust in God was proven true. Now, we don't know a lot about a relationship with God. You can read in Joshua chapter 2. But it was a seemingly uncomplicated faith. You don't have to have your theology 100% sorted out. I don't yet. But we do know that she confessed that the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. And on that truth, the hearts of all the men in Jericho were melted with fear. We don't know a lot about her faith, but we do know when the spies came, she wasn't like the armchair Christian that just said, go in peace and stay safe. I'll pray for you. She put her home and her family, and her very life on the line in trusting and costly obedience. Her faith came out her fingers. Can I encourage us? Can I implore us that our our spiritual maturity, our completeness, James all the way through the book is concerned with maturity, completeness, perfection, formation into Christ, the one, our Savior, and our example. That means our discipleship is, is, is our growth in prayer and reading and intimacy with Jesus. 
But it's not only those things. It is our quick and costly and trusting obedience to needs and responses in the community, to, to this community of faith and the community that needs to know the reality of God, that we live like we trust Jesus. Can I encourage us, like, Paul, like James says, to be doers, not just hearers, and if I could be so bold to ask, not just sayers only, but doers of the word. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace towards us, evident in Christ. When we were yet still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And in your great grace, Lord, you revealed that to us by your spirit and enabled us to come to you and surrender our lives. Oh, we praise you that you have declared us righteous, not by anything we've done, but indeed by everything that Christ has done on our behalf. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, your grace will be poured out, Lord, your forgiveness, Lord, where we have indeed heard you speak, felt the nudge of your spirit, Lord, to be obedient, Lord, to trust you, to step out, to risk, and where we have not done so. Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, that are quick to obey, Lord. When we, hear, when we see the truth of your word, Lord, let us continue, Lord, to be formed into your likeness that we might indeed be quick to obey all that you've called us to, Lord. Help us indeed to have our faith come out our fingers, Lord. Lord, let your spirit that is indeed within us to will and to act according to your great purpose continue to compel us, Lord, to serve you and indeed demonstrate our faith in you to a world that so desperately needs you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.